I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This four-part Working Scientist podcast is supported by the University of Sydney. Explore our research at sydney.edu.au. Hello, I'm Adam Levy, and this is Working Scientist, a Nature Careers podcast. In this series, we're looking at the precarious process of publishing a paper. Last week in episode one, we looked at how to put your paper together. But getting your science done and the paper written is only the first step on the journey to publication. Because the next hurdle can feel more like an entire obstacle course. It is, of course, getting your manuscript accepted. Today, in episode two of this four-part series, we'll be looking at how to navigate this tricky task. The feeling of getting a first paper published can be fantastic. Here's neuroscientist Agustina Banez of the Institute of Cognitive and Translational Neuroscience in Argentina and the University of California in San Francisco. So I, I still remember my first paper published. It was an incredible, huge emotion. And here's psychiatrist Dixon Chabanda of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine and the University of Zimbabwe in Harare. You know, I was just happy to see my name as a... Uh, being the author, I, didn't, I had no idea what being first author, second, third, fourth author, what all of that meant. But of course, getting that paper accepted isn't always plain sailing. It's common for editors to decide against a study, either straight off the bat or after it has been peer-reviewed. I asked Dixon if any of his many papers had ever been rejected. Oh yes, of course, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> During my formative years, I worked very closely with Professor Frances Cowan. And I, I remember her saying, you know, you have to be thick-skinned if you want to get into this business because you will get a lot of rejections, you know. And, of course, the first time it's always, it's always difficult. You think you've done everything that you possibly can do. And um, someone else, a reviewer, looks at it from a different angle and points out uh, what you've left out, or the editor simply says, this is not suitable for our journal. It's easy for a rejection from journals to get you down. After all, getting a paper published is often such an important step in a career, and so any roadblocks can feel insurmountable. 
Agustin has had to deal with these feelings throughout his career. Yeah, this is terrible. I mean, I think that in the last five years, I have changed like the self-emotional regulations <laughs> after the reaction <laughs> for any researcher in the world, but especially if you come from, from a developmental world, the publication are, are really important way to have a status, to have recognition. So the rejections are really, really um, a tough issue that I think that we have learned to don't take it as a personal. Of course, not all papers are simply accepted or rejected after their initial submission. There's a huge grey area in between these two possibilities. Based on reviewer comments, editors can invite authors to revise and resubmit their manuscripts. This can mean anything from rewording sentences to carrying out more experiments or analyses. Even though this isn't an outright rejection, it can still be painful to process the reviewer's remarks, says environmental scientist Jen Burney of the University of California, San Diego. I mean, full disclosure, I don't think I've ever had anything just sail through the process. <laughs> so that's kind of a remaining a bucket list item for me. Uh, so... You get feedback, it always feels incredibly intimate and personal the first time you read it, right? Like, who are these jerks and why are they responding this way? And <laughs> didn't they understand what I did? And I think it's just really normal to feel that way because at the moment in time that you sent it off, it was the best that you could do. Uh, and now you get this influx of information, but it's also a realization that, that there's work to be done and you can make it better. Like most published researchers, Antarctica scientist Pippa Whitehouse of Durham University in the UK knows just how much of a kick in the guts a tough response from a journal can be. But she now knows that taking a deep breath and a moment for reflection can make things that much easier. If I have students and postdocs who now go through that experience early on, I think I have enough experience to soften the blow there a little bit and it, and just step back to you know the first principles of why you wrote the paper and what the important points are and maybe go and grab a coffee and a donut to cheer up as well. <laughs> of course, the point of the peer review process isn't to upset you, the author. It's to make the science and the paper better. There's always room for improvement and keeping this in mind can make receiving reviewer comments a more positive experience. I now realise that whatever I submit the first time is not going to be perfect and it's going to need to be reviewed because it hasn't seen a wider set of eyes at that point. So I'd almost be suspicious if I got a very brief review. Um, that's not a moment of, of uh, celebration. It's a moment of slight wondering why they didn't pick more holes in it. But sometimes reviewers can pick so many holes in a paper that it ends up resembling a sieve. This can be frustrating at the best of times, but can be fully infuriating when some of the remarks are based on misunderstandings. But Pippa says that even this can be an opportunity to make the paper better. Sometimes you, you feel like a reviewer has, has missed the point of your paper or they've got confused about something. And actually reflecting on that, it's always partly my fault there that we, we haven't explained it very clearly if the reviewer has actually got confused. Whether the reviewer is confused, clear, generous or picky, you'll need to find a way to respond to their comments. And whatever you think of their remarks, Dixon recommends taking an appreciative tone in your response to reviewers. 
rule of thumb, always be thankful for the comments, no matter what you think about them. You know, instead of saying, this is already highlighted in this paragraph, why are you asking this? You, you know, I would normally recommend that you, you thank the reviewer. You know, um, this is, you know, by saying something like, you know, this is an important observation. Um, I would like to uh, bring to your attention uh, line 15 in paragraph 4, which um, <laughs> attempts to address this this, uh, this issue. And sometimes reviewers can see things differently. You know, they could ask you questions related to, you know, confounding factors. You know, have you, con- have you considered this? Because, you know, in research, it's, it's possible to miss things. You know, you could have a bias that you have not even thought about until a reviewer mentions it. So there's always, you know, a way of trying to strike a balance, you know, between uh, what the reviewers want and what you want to see published. Just understanding everything that your reviewers are asking for can be a daunting task in itself. For this, Jen recommends taking a moment to absorb what the reviewers have said and then breaking things up into more manageable chunks. The way we try to deal with it is read it once, but with the full knowledge that it's going to feel worse than it is, <laughs> right? We often start by just taking the feedback and splitting it up into that line-by-line document and going through point-by-point point what we think the response needs to be. And so this sort of disassembly and reassembly of the review comments Uh, I find it be really helpful for then figuring out, okay, we need to do the following like two or three analyses and that's going to answer like these 17 points made across these four reviews, Um, right? So uh, (laughs) to kind of figure out the priority list of what needs to happen. Our four academics, Jen, Dixon, Pippa and Agustine, have had to deal with all sorts of responses from journals. But we thought it would be a good idea to also get you some tips from the other side of the table. Heike Langenberg is Chief Editor of Communications, Earth and Environment, and previously served as Chief Editor of Nature Geoscience. When she was in that role, she published an editorial titled The Art of Responding to Reviews. So I think people have read it a lot. I think it's our most popular editorial possibly ever. Heike explains that the inspiration for the editorial was an author whose response to reviewers was fairly heated. In fact, the author called the reviewers obtuse several times in his response. When I spoke to Heike, she explained that she took the time to talk the author down from this fiery language. We went back to them and said, actually, um, you may want to reword that because this is not going to help your case with the reviewers. <laughs> and then he came back in an informal email saying, saying these words. And, and, you know, he understood and we were pleased to hear um, that our advice had been heard and listened to. And then the response was changed accordingly. What's it like in your experience being the kind of intermediary between authors and peer reviewers? Well, you always have to be very careful to see all sides of any dispute or discussion or problem. So what we try to do is we try to put ourselves simultaneously or one after the other into the shoes of the referees and of the of the authors and see what would they think if they knew exactly what's going on in the peer review process. So we try to be as fair as possible to all sides. We have to kind of sometimes even out big egos <laughs> of authors or reviewers um, and we have to try and, and make sure that the outcome is as constructive and fair as possible. Now when people are responding to, to peer reviewers, what 
is the most common mistake people might fall into making? That they respond in a too lengthy way rather than concentrating on the important points. Um, I think it's important to keep concise and not write 30 pages. It's important to answer all the questions raised, but it's also important to keep it as short as possible so that um, people don't have too much to read. And do you have any experiences which really stuck out to you when you received um, a response and you thought, oh God, I can't believe they've, they've done it like this? Well, sometimes people really start attacking the reviewer and that's, of course, bad tactics. I mean, bad tactics apart from... It's also not helpful because often people say, well, the reviewers really don't understand. And if the reviewers don't understand, then you haven't probably explained it very well. <laughs> I think authors need to be a bit more patient sometimes with reviewers and, and understand that the onus is on them really to explain what they have done, how they have done it, and why they think their conclusions are sound. Now, apart from, um, I suppose, that kind of clarity and also not going on for too long in your response, what do you think are some other important tips that authors should bear in mind when they're responding to reviewers? The most important thing for authors to do is to take those comments from the reviewers on board as a, a way of improving their paper and really improving their paper based on those comments rather than arguing back in the response to reviewers and not changing their paper. Because if the, if the reviewers found something unclear, impossible to understand, it's very likely that some of the readers will find the same point important. It's something that a lot of researchers talk about finding very difficult and there's almost a cliche of, oh God, reviewer two had these really difficult comments and what do I do with it? Why do you think it is such a daunting process for so many scientists. It is very daunting if you if you have this feeling there's some anonymous power that you can't argue with and that determines whether your paper will be published or not. But actually there is, we are like the regulator in a way. <laughs> so we are trying to kind of even out the two sides of the problem or the discussion. Well, of course, as an editor, you're not just dealing with responses to the reviewers, you're also dealing with people's response to you. Um, do you have any tips on how people uh, should write to editors to lead to, I suppose, more constructive conversations about their papers? So uh, we are generally not doing things out of malice, <laughs> which some authors tend to be thinking, uh, perhaps not even thinking, but they argue as if they were. And, and we are not going to be convinced by people saying, well, all my friends like the paper. This is not an <laughs> argument. We want a scientific argument. So we want to be convinced and not threatened and we don't want to be you know just flattered that doesn't really help either um, you know all these things don't work we, what we want is a, a sound science-based argument in cases when a paper is just outright rejected or accepted do you ever encounter any difficulties as an editor in those situations if we accept a paper, then generally the authors don't grumble. Um, that tends to be uh, quite unanimous. Um, if we reject a paper, we sometimes get appeals in where people write in and say, well, you made the wrong decision here. When authors are responding to reviewers and trying to perfect a manuscript, do you have any tips on the kinds of things that they should be focusing on? where the science gets difficult. You know, they like to think about, you know, whether they've worded things nicely or whether the pictures are pretty or whether the plots are colourful or not. All that doesn't really matter. What matters is the science and that's the hard bit. That was Heike Langenberg. But what happens after you've got that crucial science to the level where journal agrees to publish? 
Well, of course, that's cause for celebration, but don't pop the champagne and move on just yet. Because the success of a paper doesn't just depend on its publication, it also depends on whether people actually end up reading it or not. And we'll be discussing how to promote your paper in the next episode of this Nature Careers podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Adam Levy. This four-part Working Scientist podcast is supported by the University of Sydney. Explore our research at sydney.edu.au. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.